You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host brandon gory how are you? Hey, how are we doing? It is South by Southwest in the Austin of Texas. We're here today in the studio, and we are ready to rip you a new one in the art of photography. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware, if you hear uh, South by Southwest and you're an Austinite, what that really means is, hey, we're going to go on vacation to Houston this week, or we're going to go on vacation to Dallas because the city uh, becomes, uh, it's just like that uh, Monty Python where he's like, none shall pass because you have to, like... Uh, okay, so I have friends who are musicians, and they'll be like, hey, do you want to go see my showcase? And it's like, okay, so you want me to go f- like spend an hour trying to find parking uh, that I have to pay an exorbitant amount for, and then I have to walk several blocks to see your band, who, by the way, had like a 35, 45-minute load-in, to play a show for 15 minutes, and then I have to walk all the way back to my car and then drive out of here. So I have to spend like three hours of my life to see your band play for 15 minutes, but since you're a local band, I could just wait a few weeks and go see you play for two hours, you know, instead of yeah. 15 minutes. So you really got to have a plan of attack for South by, you got to have like five or six events lined up. You got to make sure you get the parking early. You got to make sure you've got drink tickets so that you know where you're drinking. You know, you can be drunk, you can be totally sloshed, but as long as you have that little like shopping list of how you're going to approach it in the back pocket, you're, you're fine. Yeah, like I used to, as we've discussed on this show, I used to be a DJ and I lived down here in the early 2000s and I would go to South By and play South By every year back when it was more of a musical festival. Uh, Nowadays, it seems like the uh, movie part of it is a lot bigger. And uh, I'm just going to say this. I know it's controversial to some Austinites, but Austin is no longer the live music capital of the world, and it hasn't been for quite some time. There are much better and more vibrant scenes in many other uh, cities across the country and the world. Just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, but, yeah, it's like when I used to do South By, you would just go like, hey, we're, Sony's having this party up at, um, you know, it used to be, I think, the Crown Plaza, and I think it's like a Hilton or something now. But we'd go up there and it'd be like, uh, you'd see like, uh, Coheating Cambria getting signed. Uh, Matt Penfield, who used to do 120 minutes on MTV, was then an AR rep, and he's just like, "Yeah, this is Coheating Cambria," and like, uh, "Who?" And like, from the, then they got like huge after that. But dude had like some big fro. But that was just the way it was. You know, you turn and look over there, and like, "Oh shit, it's Quentin Tarantino." Like, it used to be that way, but it's so like not what it used to be. But anyway, yeah, it's a bunch of tech bros now. Yes, but this is the F11 photography podcast it's our weekly podcast um, we release it every tuesday and so pretty much no matter where you're in the world i release it at four in the morning so uh, if you are you know in the uk or whatever you'll get it kind of a little bit after breakfast before lunch uh, and if you're in the u.s uh, you'll wake up to it and then if you're i guess if you're in uh, the far east you'll uh, it'll be around dinner time this podcast comes out on tuesdays so um, you can follow us 
on Instagram at F11Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at F11Pod. And our website is F11Pod.com. Pretty straightforward. Um, so we are the F11 Photography Podcast. Um, and we are going to talk about photography today. Uh, we're going to actually break up today's episode into two parts because I have you know hours worth of material that we can talk about on this subject. And it's tips that we've learned to help us improve our photography. Brandon uh, is younger than me, but he has things that I don't know, and I've done things that uh, he doesn't know, and so everybody can teach everybody something. And so that's what we're going to discuss in today's episode, and we're going to start with the number one uh, thing that I have learned over the years, and that is to shoot with intention. So spontaneity can produce some amazing results. I have some stuff in my portfolio that I was not planning. It was completely spontaneous. Uh, but I do find that if you show up to a shoot without a plan uh, and your improvisational skills are off that day, you're basically wasting everybody's time and you're not really growing as a photographer. Maybe maybe you are growing in the sense that you're going to learn that, uh, wow, I shouldn't do that again. I should maybe at least have a bit of a plan. But, uh, you know, intent, shooting with intention. Why? Are you shooting? I know photographers, when I look at their work, it's like, wow, that is technically uh, well executed. The person in the shot is super attractive and beautiful to look at, but I have no idea what the hell the purpose of this shot is. And so that's uh, what I want to talk about is shooting with intention. And what are your thoughts on that, Brandon? Ooh, that's a good one. As soon as you said shooting with intention, I was thinking, you know what? That was my favorite thing that I learned to do as a photographer. And it wasn't, well, okay. It wasn't shooting with intention. It was have a fucking plan because too often I get overconfident in my shoots and I'll just be like, you know what? This model's really talented. I'm in a space where I have complete control. I'm familiar with the location and then I will go into said shoot and the damnedest thing will happen. I hop on the improv train, and for three hours it is nothing but improv and an uphill battle struggling to capture photos that would have been a breeze if I'd done a little bit of due diligence. Yeah, uh, improvisation, uh, like I said, sometimes you get some amazing results with it, and I'm not saying that uh, you can absolutely go into a shoot without a plan and get good results, but if you don't have anything to fall back on, then you've got nothing. And so I always do a little bit of planning, at least. Really, I do a lot of planning. I'm not as uh, maybe uh, efficient as you are with the planning or as uh, elaborate, but I do do planning uh, because sometimes, uh, yeah, like I said, your improvisational skills, they leave you. Uh, You're just not feeling it that day. But if you have a script to follow, at the very least, you're going to go, oh, yeah, uh, we are going to shoot at this location. We're going to do this style of a shot. I was thinking about using this particular focal length. And I can rely on my years of skills to execute this particular type of shot, even though it wasn't like, you know, the uh, the tier I wanted it to be on. It was definitely a much higher tier than falling flat and not having an idea. Yeah. And here's the thing is, if you have a plan going into the shoot and your improv skills, like if you're not feeling that they improv wise, improvisationally, I might say, then you know, even even just the first hour of that shoot, sticking to that script, you might, you know, that creative switch might flip and suddenly you ditch the plan because you're like, okay, 
we don't need the plan anymore. We've got a good takeoff. We're in the sky now, and we're just going to go, you know, off the wall. We've got good lighting setups. I'm comfortable with this model's movement and range. We can take it to the streets, Doobie Brothers style. Ooh, a Michael McDonald reference. I, uh, I'm old enough to know that one. Uh, he has the voice of a golden angel, Michael uh, McDonald. Sorry, right. tangent, tangent. Um, yeah, so another reason why I think it is good to have improvisational skills is uh, and not stick too much to a script. Like, you want to have a script. You need, you need to keep the train on the tracks. But I do find the hybrid approach of, okay, our intention is we want to accomplish this. But to get from point A to point B, the script will help guide us but allow for things to happen. Uh, a lot of times, too, like um, models have their own ideas, right? Maybe a stylist brings something in that you weren't expecting that kind of alters the shoot a little bit. Sometimes it's okay to take a back seat to other talents. Uh, and let them drive the ship. Now you kind of have to be a DJ, kind of keeping all of the you know, all the all the turntables and the decks going and beat matched and so on and so forth. You have to spin all the plates. You have to kind of control the shoots in in some ways and steer it. But I do find that um, every you know if you're having a shoot that's styled or whatever, and you're shooting a model and there's other people involved, sometimes having other people uh, lend their talents to a project can get you out of a rut. Like I find that. You know, I'm talking about shooting with intention, but there are times when I go through an artistic rut and I will actually like if a model comes to me with an idea or a stylist comes to me with an idea or the other day a makeup artist reached out to me and said, I really want to try this particular style of makeup. And I don't shoot a lot of beauty, but I was like, yeah, sure. I haven't shot beauty in a while. And so let's try this. Let's try this out. And so it's helping me get better as a photographer. But uh, I just, you know, it's the but going back to the why. Uh, I like I said I, I I see photographers. I had a I had a model reach out to me the other day and was like, "Hey, uh, we're we're going to be shooting together soon. Here's some vibes I want to share with you." And she shared with me the vibe of this photographer that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Every time I look at their work, I don't see what the intention is. And so I'm, I was just like, well, "Why don't you just go work with them if you want that vibe?" <laughs> you know, it's kind of I don't want to say. I mean, I was a, I was a little bit insulted because I was like, I don't want to ever have my work compared to their work, not because. Uh, you know, they are a technically sound photographer. It was just like, I don't think my vibe is anything close to their vibe. So it's like, I can't, I can't shoot like that person because if I shot like that person, I'd hate my work and that's okay. There's a lot of styles that are very well done that I would hate if I shot them. You're really making me wish we could name drop on the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not happening, bro. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. You know, we'll, we'll mute the microphone. It, it wasn't you, so. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, Brandon's work is awesome. But, uh, but no, I was just, it was just, I was like, man. But anyway, uh, shooting with intention, uh, I, I just, you know, when you look at your work, do you ask yourself, why am I doing this? And, uh, I, I personally, that's something that is, is important to me. Now you may just go, I just take pictures of things and that makes me happy. And that's totally fine. But like when I critique my own work and I can go back, uh, you know, not too far, sometimes I get into creative ruts and I'm just like, why did I take this picture? What story is it telling? Is there anything that's three dimensional about it? Uh, can I see beyond just a really technically executed picture with a really nice looking person on it? And if the answer is no, I typically won't like put it out there for people to see. And that's one of the ways that I critique my own work now is because there are some shots that when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, that, that's cool. But like, I just, I can't see the why. 
And 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 that's that's like the kind of photography I'm attracted to is I can see, oh, why did they do that? Oh, okay. I may be completely wrong about why they did that because that's the beautiful thing about the artistic eye, but at least I could come to a conclusion of a why. If I look at it and I'm just like, that just looks like an empty-ass picture that wasn't like, okay, great. You work with beautiful people. That's awesome. Like I, I, I can go find beautiful people. I mean, shit, that's not that hard. But like, like when you look at these pictures two, three, four years from now, are you just going to go, well, okay, what was the point of taking that? Probably. It- yeah. And I tell you what, it's speaking to your point is it's, it's honestly painful to hear you talk about, you know, all those, um, all the explanations and the thoughts and the self criticism of why, because I go through the same thing and you know, the bummer is, uh, is when you're culling through photos or you're just culling photos, I'm not sure how to use that word, but I like it. It's like when you see the photo, when you see one that is, is going to stay, it's not because you're overanalyzing it. It's not because you're talking yourself into keeping it. It's because you, you flipped to it and it, in a split second, you just knew you knew that that was going to be a part of the set. And it's because that's how long it takes. If it gives you an emotional reaction, if it makes you react, if it makes you think, if it excites you within that split second of, of you know, scrolling past it, <clears throat> then that means it's going to be included in the set. And the problem with that is when you don't have as many of those moments and those photos as you like in a session, then you start going back through the f- however many photos you took and you start trying to justify to yourself. You're like, okay, I could include this one as well because it's, it's almost kind of there and it, it might pass and the model might like it. The agency might, you know, they might think it's better than I think it is. And then it just becomes this whole, like this clusterfuck of, of, you know, internal monologues and conversation that just lead you astray. So all that, all that is to say that, that, yeah, no, the, the intention's a big deal. And, it's, you know, you have to have intention while editing and uh, selecting your photos as well. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. And that leads me to the number two uh, thing that I want to talk about, something that I've learned to improve my photography, and that is to cull more. And I want to talk about this because this is something that I'm passionate about. You only want the world to see your best work. People will judge you. Based off of your worst image, you could give them a hundred images that they're just like, oh my God, that looks so amazing. And they're going to see that one bad image that stands out. And you know what? They're not going to hire you because of that bad image. And so only present your best work. And by the way, when you're doing uh, collaborations and things like that with people, be very proactive on what you do and do not give to clients because uh, newsflash, clients fucking suck at picking pictures. Uh, they knew about photography and what made great photography. They themselves would be great photographers. There are micro things that they don't see that drive you crazy because you are a photographer. So the way I do things, now if it's a work for hire, you, you do what you're told. But if it's a creative collaboration or something like that, what I personally do is I will go in and I will uh, look at all the images and I'll be like, okay, what is bad with the photography? And I don't care if they nail the pose. If I like, I cut their foot off or something or they're not cropped right. I delete that shit. It's gone. I don't care if they nailed their pose unless it's a situation where it's like, okay, I could crop them like halfway up the leg and make it a three quarter shot. See that, 
that is the conversation I have in my head right there. Because I know technically if I cut their foot off, it's a fucking no-no. There's a part of my brain that is just like we have, like, like we, you know, kick it into the pit like it's a disabled child in Greece in 2000 BC, you know, whatever. But, but at the same time, the other part of me says, okay, but is that technicality detracting from the overall subject composition relationship of the shot itself? Because there is an image where sometimes a model gets the facial expression with the posture in, in the right you know setting and environment, maybe the wind's blowing the hair in just the right way, where the actual appeal and the presentation of the subject themselves overpowers the technical uh, limitations of that photo. Well, uh, okay, so in that situation, when I, when I find a situation like that where it's like, oh shit, I cut off their hand or I cut off their foot or whatever... The first thing I do is kind of make it like a three-quarter shot or a head shot. Is there something? I, is there some way I can crop in more? Towards like, well, I cropped off, you know, because if you're if you're a beginner, uh, what they typically will teach you to do is, let's say you crop somebody's hand. What you do is you go up to the center of their arm or like the center, you know, their forearm or the center, like somewhere on the bicep or the tricep area. You never crop out of joint. So you don't crop them at the elbow. You never crop them at the knees. You never crop them at the ankles. You always crop in between those because. It looks intentional. Uh, if it's right at that in-between point, a lot of times it's like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. So that's uh, that's usually what I'm looking at. And, you know, rules are meant to be broken, blah, 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 blah. But when people are looking at your work and they're deciding why they like it, they may not know why they don't like it, but it may very well be that you didn't crop the damn thing right. And it's just a subconscious thing yeah, for them. Yeah, catering to the subconscious of your audience is probably one of the most aggravating uh, mental conversations I have with myself when I'm editing. If if it's for, you know, a project that I'm getting paid for and, you know, or agency book filling. Yeah, and, you know, something else to keep in mind uh, to the point of calling more. If you give... Uh, a, a subject, a model, an agency, a thousand images, they're going to be overwhelmed. And first and foremost, if you're shooting for an agency, they don't want you to give them a thousand images. They're going to probably choose at most five to 10 images that are like, okay, this is strong for their book. Like they, they're, they have the same mentality that I'm talking about, which is we only want the best of the best. There's going to be some awesome shots that we don't give a fuck about. Like we don't care. Like we have, we just want to select a few shots at most from this session that may end up in their book and that's it. And so, you know, you want to, you got to know who you're giving these images to. And if you give them too many images, the, it's probable that they're probably going to pick images that you're not as passionate about. And so by going, okay, I just won't even give them that one to choose. Now you do need to understand what they're going for because if it's shooting for an agency they're looking at is the model giving you strong posing is the model you know giving us what we want uh, as we talked about in the models episode for their persona do they look like their persona that we're trying to market them as and so you have to be conscious of that when you choose the model you got to know who your who your audience is uh, but you get rid of a lot of shots because the chances are they're going to choose shots that you're not too thrilled about. And if it's like a creative collaboration, that's not agency, they're a non-signed model. Every time they post something on Instagram or wherever, that is an advertisement for how good or how not good you are. And so if you just like let models uh, or subjects choose photos that you are just like, ah, I don't really want the world to see that, then you're doing your brand as a photographer, a, a, an incredible disservice. Uh, people are going to go, like I said, they're going to judge you based off their, your worst photo. 
And this is something that I had to learn early on is I would just like give models way too many photos and then they would inevitably choose one. I'm just like, ah, really? Like even, even models, like especially new models, like they don't even understand modeling. They're still learning it. Like they'll have a a shot where like their arm is sticking out at you and it's foreshortened and it, you know, you want people to photograph long. And so they'll have like these little Tyrannosaurus arms or whatever pointing at the camera and but when they're new models, they don't know any better. So like, oh, I really like my my smile on this or something. But it's like, yeah, but your arms look terrible. And so you kind of, as a photographer, need to like learn like, okay, what do what is a bad pose and a good pose, or at least kind of know the basis of that. Like, oh, maybe if we're doing beauty, we want the neck to photograph long. And so I, I, all my shots where I'm shooting above the nose, I failed to do that because as my camera is above the nose, it shortens the neck. Beauty is one of the only headshot styles where you shoot below the nose to elongate the neck. And so, you know, don't even give them the option to do that because you're not casting them in the most flattering light. And subconsciously, they may not understand why they're, you know, they're choosing incorrectly, right? Um, and so it's your job to kind of guide them into that direction. And it's really knowing your assignment. Like, oh, I'm shooting for an agency. Well, what's the assignment? I need to make sure I execute the assignment. And if you execute the assignment well, part of executing the assignment is giving them the proper images to pick and taking away the proper, the improper images, the images that they shouldn't be picking in the first place because it doesn't achieve their objective. Because as I said earlier, a lot of times clients are terrible at choosing images. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is this brings us right back around to having intention with the shoot, because if you don't go into a shoot with an intention, and I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but if you don't go into the shoot with an intention or a plan or anything like that, the number of five out of five images that you want to present to an agency or a model or even have in your own portfolio, like it just lowers drastically. You'll be fighting. You'll be fighting for photos that are going to be, you know, some of some of your best potential work. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Number three. Number three. We're going to talk about taking Take less it. pictures. Less pictures. And here's why you want to take less pictures. Uh I don't know if it's a confidence thing or what, but I know a lot of photographers, they'll go out and they'll take a ton of pictures. This also comes back to shooting with intention because if you go like, so for instance, if I go shoot in a full eight hour wedding, which I I do weddings every now and then I usually, it's usually when I want a lens. Uh, I just want to get a brand new lens. And I was like, I'll charge you uh, whatever this lens costs. Yeah. Yeah. I like gear. Um, But when I shoot a wedding for a full day, of eight hours of shooting, at most 2,500 images, at most. I've actually whittled that down to about 1,500. So the last wedding I shot, I had no more than 1,500 images. That's ridiculous. And uh, I'm I'm shooting another wedding next weekend, and my goal is to try to get it to 1,000. And and the reason why, I'm going to go over why. Um, If you take 2,500 shots of a wedding, and you spend... In the culling process, 10 seconds looking at every shot, uh, that means that it'll take you about a full eight-hour day to view every image once. 10 seconds an image, it'll take you eight hours. Now, we all take breaks. We have lives. We break things up. So really, it's going to take you about a week because you have other shit going on in your life. So it'll take you a week to look at a wedding to decide what through, – through one pass. You may have to look at things twice. That's 2,500 images. Now – that's for a full eight-hour day. I know photographers who will take a model out into a field and shoot 2,500 Im- images of them. And I'm like, are you actually working or is your camera doing all the work? If it's 20, like, I can't even like, 
think of a situation where in a two hour session I could take 2,500 images. That's like, a, I mean, you're talking about if you take 2,500 images over an eight hour day, that's about one image every 15 seconds at a wedding. And you're documenting something super important there. You take an image every 10 to 15 seconds. If you condense that down to two hours or an hour with a model out in a field or a model in a studio, that means that you're taking a picture like once every three seconds. Like you're not, how, how can you even stop to think about what your intention is if all you're doing is click, 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 click? Like, like uh, is your bandwidth going to be so scrambled to where you're not actually focusing on what it is that you're actually uh, trying to achieve at that point? And so at that point, are you really being a photographer or are you just randomly hitting a button every now and then and letting your autofocus like uh, lock on and then you just go in and hope that you got something good? Where do you hit that threshold? It's an easy pattern to get stuck in. As someone who started using digital and started with high shutter released, uh, shutter release, yeah, it was very much uh, just like sometimes, sometimes while I was shooting, because I was like so new at it and so inexperienced that I was just like, I didn't have a hope at posing anyone. I didn't have a hope at like, you know, controlling the light. Like I, I didn't even know how to talk to models when I first started. I was just like, ah, oh, you're doing great. You know, like, let, you know, pretend you're Chevy Chase and National Lampoon's Chris's vacation. Like we're going to have a good time. So I just do stuff like that. <clears throat> and yeah. I, no, no, I, I would just. I would, I would even blur my eyes sometimes and I just hold down the shutter button. I was just so like, you know, like, cause, cause when you don't have that level of control as a photographer, sometimes you just there and you're just like, I mean, fuck it. I'm going to figure this out in post. I'm going to see if I got anything worthwhile, you know, a couple hours from now. Absolutely. And I mean, I've been there, man, when you're starting off, that's, uh, that is, that is the, the, the challenge, but you know, where I'm at right now. And this is like, so I, I do a lot of, you know, I, I do a lot of creative collaborations. I do things for agencies. I did an agency shoot the other day and I took uh, 270 shots with, uh, we did three outfits, 270 shots. Jeez. That's terrifying. I couldn't, I didn't. Oh, damn. Yeah. That was the job I just did in Houston. I did 270 shots and they said, these look great. Awesome. Wow. And, and, and I turn around my edits with, I mean, I, I'm actually still editing, but, uh, I can get my edits turned around in 48 hours on this because they're only going to choose like 20 shots at most. How many, how many photos did you, 40 photos? What? Like, like out of, out of that 200 something. How many are they choosing? How many did you send? Oh, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to look, but I, I don't. More than 20? Uh, well, Yeah. They more, asked for more it. than a 10% hit ratio. Wow. That's really, that's sick. Then, well, so, so, uh, well, I guess with that session, so the way, the way I do things with when I'm working with an agency is I, I shoot in Capture One. Uh, I was shooting tethered for this particular session, and I would just shoot, 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 do my 270 shots, and then I would go in and go, okay, uh, what do these suck? And then I get rid of about, I, I ended up getting rid of like about a hundred. 120 nice. and then I just left the session up there and then I just give them a link and then they just, I'm like, here, this is the session. These are all the shots where she nailed her poses. You just pick your favorite. So, I mean, they, they were like a, I don't know, 150 images in there that they could choose from. And they ended up choosing like 30, something like that. Wow. That they really liked. And so, uh, but that's the, but it's not, it's not, Oh, I'm this badass and I had this high hit rate. It's just that I took less shots. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like I could have taken 2,500 shots and they still would have probably only chosen 30. <laughs> so it's like how much fucking time of your life. So my, my point being on that is that uh, there's no reason to take the same shot seven times. While pixels are free, time is money. And you shouldn't feel the pressure to take more images. You should feel the pressure to have uh, confidence in yourself that when you execute the image, you move on to the next thing. Right. And I was in and out of that session in an hour, hour and a half. Jeez. Like I, I should, I took me almost as much time to set up as I did to shoot. It's also really beneficial to like, that would ease cold fatigue. Cause like you're staring at pixels for so long, you start like, you stop seeing shit after a while. You know what I mean? You have to like take a break, take a breather and like reevaluate what the hell you're looking for. Yeah. Like I had a brand I was shooting here in the studio uh, and we did eight looks and I took uh, 700 shots. It was an, like a full day. I took 700 shots. Jeez. And because how much, how much time do you have? Like, like, do you not have the confidence as a photographer to go, I know how to take pictures. I know how to compose a shot. I'm shooting at F11 in the studio, so everything's going to be sharp. I don't have to worry about it being sharp or not sharp because I understand how depth of field works. My flash went off. I didn't bake them. I see that they're, they're illuminating properly. My camera has enough dynamic range and post to where even if I do slightly overexpose them, I can save it. Or if I slightly underexpose them, I can pull up the shadows. Why am I having this uh, internal dialogue with myself about uh, my confidence? I should just go, no, I know what I'm doing. I hit it and I move on. And as somebody who shoots on film, I mean – you have to. You don't even know what you have at that point. You're like, I am going to develop it. And I'm going to see what I actually got. Like, you have to be confident to shoot film. And so transferring that uh, same confidence over to digital, it, it makes you move a little slower in some ways. Like, I move slower in that I work to set up a shop, but then when I get it, I'm fastened that I move on. So maybe the session takes the same amount of time, but I took a third the amount of pictures. I had a photographer tell me the other day, like, oh, yeah, I take, like, on average 2,000 shots. And then he gives the models 2,000 shots to rate. Like, dude, you're doing it all wrong, man. God, what a nightmare. Yeah, total nightmare. But, but no, like the only time I will take, uh, uh, you know, four figures worth of shots, a thousand or more, is if I'm shooting like an event all day, whether it be a wedding or. And I don't do a lot of event. I don't do a lot of event photography, but uh, you know, at that point, I'm shooting like compressed raw, and I mean weddings, it's much more involved. But like if I'm shooting like an event for some brand or something and they just have some party or something i'm just throwing a filter on that and just charging them like i mean not a filter like a preset because yeah. at that point in time this is not they just want to like throw their stuff on instagram and go look we had a party today or whatever like that's that's the extent that you should edit to and we'll we're gonna have a an episode on uh editing and the whole six we're gonna have a we're gonna have a whole episode on editing and you know knowing when to go really deep into your edit and doing a sixty thousand foot view of your edit and when to know when to do each of those. So we'll do that on a on a future episode. But absolutely, um, you know, you need to take less pictures because if you are actually improving as a photographer, that means you should be getting more efficient, right? And so the very definition of efficiency is being more successful by having to do less. That is, that's how efficiency works. So if you're still having to take 2,500 shots during a a two hour portrait session, you need to learn how to not do that because like you have a finite amount of time. uh, And, and unless you just want to be culling images all day, uh, I don't really see uh, what the benefit would be of that. Now there is a really, really cool new software I saw. I was in Las Vegas last week at the WPPI show, 
And I was at the Fuji booth. There's this really awesome wedding photographer that I uh, follow on YouTube. His name's John Branch. He's a Fuji ambassador. And um, he did a lecture on this new AI software. Uh, I think it's called Imagine or Imogen or something like that. And basically what you do, and this would never apply to me because I don't use Lightroom and I don't shoot enough weddings to justify the cost of this, but it certainly does look appealing. So basically what you do is you take... 5,000 of your images that you edited and you upload it to this AI and it analyzes how you edit even your masks and how you edit skin because uh, it can detect humans. That's a, that's in beta right now, but it, it'll basically uh, detect how you edit. And as you change your editing style, like if you get a new wedding or whatever or a new event, you can toss four or five more files in there and it'll go, Oh, your editing style is starting to change and it'll start changing its AI based off of it. And like if you do a wedding, uh, and, and by the way, what, what happens is, is like you take, like, let's say you shoot 2,500 shots at a wedding. You take those 2,500 shots, you import them into your, your Lightroom catalog, and then you have this online host and it doesn't upload the files. It just uploads the metadata of the files. All the all like the, the data about color and all that. I don't, I don't remember what they call it, but basically it analyzes all your files from a, a server somewhere and then it says, okay, I know what I need to do. And then it, it gets in your catalog and it just applies your, your, your curves, your, your exposure, contrast, all that stuff. It just applies all your color corrections to it. And I saw it work and it was like 98%. And I'm like, if you think about how much time, if you have 2,500 shots you need to edit for a wedding, how much time, like, it it did it in three minutes. It edited, it edited an entire wedding in like three minutes. Maybe it was five, maybe I'm exact, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm overselling it, but it was like less than five minutes. It, it, did, an, it did an entire 2,500, uh, and, and by the way, the analyzation, like it doesn't matter if you give it a 10,000 shot wedding or a 100 shot wedding, it, it analyzes it at about the same speed, so it'll do it in less than five minutes. And it was like 95, 98% there. So he's like, okay, all I do now is when I'm calling, I just check its work. Because it, by the way, it even crops. It even understands how you crop things. And it and it learns that. Well, and, I was going to say mid-journey, when, when you have it do photos in mid-journey or, or even compositions, all the photos and all, like everything it produces is compositionally accurate. Like it's, they're all balanced images, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, and then, of course, that brings into the whole... Uh, uh, discussion of uh, are you actually uh, editing your own work? But you know what? That's a that's a whole gray area unto itself because if you hand your work off to a retouch artist, is it still your photo? Well, that that's okay. Okay, so here's what you do with that. Okay, I'm not a wedding photographer, and I care way too much about my work to have AI just you know fuck my catalog into into some you know past work mediocrity. Whatever you know, that's fine. If you're a wedding guy and you you want to like sat, desaturate your greens and and bump your yellows, fucking go for it. That's awesome. But me, I'm not that way. So what I would do is instead of having it look at my work where you know each shoot's going to be its own individual identity. I would go online and find my favorite and best um, uh, micro dodge and burn retouched images without a color profile, you know, just raw. I find them all for Nikon 
And I grab a bunch of those fucking things that looked exactly the same where the skin was impeccable, but there's no grading done. And I just give it to the, I give it to the AI and I'd be like, all right, now retouch all my fucking images. I don't think it retouches and it needs 5,000 minimum to analyze. Because, wow. Well, it makes sense. And if, if the AI is going to be accurate, it needs a lot of samples. So when, who knows, maybe look at that number down to a hundred at some point, you know, but that's where it's at right now. It's only for Lightroom and I'm a capture one user, so I couldn't use it even if I wanted to. But, you know, maybe I'll shoot a wedding. Maybe I'll shoot a wedding and I'll, I'll toss it into uh, I'll toss it into Lightroom. Although I don't I don't have a five. I have 5000 images uh, in a Lightroom catalog, but it's three years old because that's when I switched over to capture one of my editing styles changed. So it wouldn't do me much good. But basically what happens is they'll be like, OK, we'll edit this entire twenty five hundred photo wedding for you. And then like they charge you like per photo and they charge you like three cents or something. I mean, basically for $70, you can edit your wedding in like five minutes, like 98% done. And then you spend like an extra day just going through and checking everything. But then you turn around, you turn a wedding around in two days. That's, that's crazy. But a little, little side tangent about, uh, about taking less images and culling and all that. But I just, uh, I think it actually auto culls as well. It'll, it'll detect like two images are the same or whatever, and it'll do auto culling. So we're getting there. Um, and that's actually something that maybe some of you want to look into who don't do crazy retouching and use Lightroom. Maybe maybe you use a program like that to force you to look at less photos and post and then just learn how to understand your work without having so much of it. And it, it, maybe it'll build your confidence and go, well, shit, AI knows I'm good. <laughs> you know, like AI figured out that I'm good. It figured out that I was taking the same photo seven times and it took six of them out. Dude, you want to take less photos? Fucking bring an eight gigabyte SD card to shoot and that's it. <laughs> yes, especially with the Fuji GFX. So you'll get like, you'll get like uh, eight gigs, you get 16 photos and that'll, that'll be it. It'll be like shooting, that's like shooting uh, six by 4.5, basically. Can you imagine doing that? You're just like, all all right, pose, pose, takes a shot, looks at it, like, delete. All right, hold that. Just keep going. Hi, I'm Jordan Groby, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. So, okay, we've gone over shooting with intention. We've gone over culling more. Culling. And, yes, and now we've gone over taking less pictures. Uh, I want to steer the conversation into... Uh, slowing down your edits. So when I was starting out in photography, you know, I'm, I'm very much, a, oh, I want to please the client. I want to make them happy. And, you know, I know photographers who are like, I am the fastest in terms of turnaround time. I edit so fast. Like I even have uh, photographers who like name their photography companies after being quick, you know, whatever it'll be like quick edits or quick photography or whatever. Like they'll, they'll build their entire brand around that. Yeah, and but that wouldn't work in a brothel. Oh boy, <laughs> I guess not. Uh, but but they build their whole brand around turning around edits and being quick. And I used to be that way too. But as as time has gone on, I've I've realized that like we get emotionally attached to photos, and so this kind of this kind of uh, ties into our very first thing of shooting with intention. That sometimes you plan something out, you put a ton of effort into it. And it just bombs. It just it's just fucking terrible. And then the shot that you put absolutely no effort into ended up being a portfolio shot. That is the way it goes sometimes. And I've noticed that uh, sometimes if I if I look at my session right after I shoot it, I get emotionally necessary. I don't necessarily get emotionally attached to the best images. I, I get emotionally attached to the images that I put the most effort into. And that isn't always compatible with like if you just take the end results 
and show them to people who have no emotional attachment to this shoot whatsoever. You don't show them to me, the model, the agency, the makeup, hair, any of that. You just show it to a random person who looks at photos and says, that's the better photo. Who, how, who are you to tell them that they're wrong? You know, it's funny you say that. It, well, it's actually not funny. It's, it's, I didn't even know I had that problem. Cause like I get, it's not, it's like a weird, like, it's, it's like having a child. It's, it's like, it's like you already know which photo you can't wait to edit. And then even when you're editing that photo, you're just like, how can I make this photo even greater? Like I, I need it to be bigger than life itself because this is the fucking shot. And then it's like my brother who is also, he's not a photographer, but he's extremely artistically inclined. Um, he got into Parsons for photography when he, when he was younger. Um, and so I'll have him look at some of my photos and you know, that one photo that you you were talking about, or like that 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 area of photos that you just want to just blow up into existence, you want it to you know almost like represent you for a temporary time period of time as a photographer, and like I'll show that type of shot where I'm like almost like I've gone through five different editing styles on it, I've tried five different color grades, and I'm just like I'm like how the fuck can I make this the best? And then I'll show my brother, and I'll be like, dude, that's that's not the best shot, dude. That's not even. That's not your work. It's not even good. <laughs> It'll just tear me apart. It is what it is, man. Sometimes you just need somebody else. And that's good that you have that. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, transition this when we go to our last talking point. Uh, I'll, I'll pick back up on this exact subject of having somebody else look at your work because there's something to be said about that. And I think we're going to have some really good nuggets to share here later on in this episode. But nuggets. Yes. The worst, though, is when uh, you get excited about a shot, but then the other but then the other creative collaborator doesn't select any of those. Like, uh, you're just like, oh, yeah, I had this sequence that I saw with my eyes and I thought it was just going to be so amazing. And then the model like gives you their five star ratings back and they chose none of the shots. You're like, oh, fuck. And that's. That goes back to the that goes back to the present them with less options to choose from, so they'll choose some of your favorite shots. I don't I don't but, let my models choose anything. Fair <laughs> enough. I, I I let so so here's here's what I do when it's a creative collaboration, uh, or if it's a so what happens is is I choose I I put if it's something where we mutually decide it's good that's when you'll see like a creative collaboration or a, a, I'm sorry an Instagram collaboration uh, that's. You can, I, that's just telegraphed. Like we both like that shot or, or maybe I'm being polite. Sometimes they'll invite me to, to collaborate on something. I'm just like, me, really? I've had a couple of those, but, but that's, that's, that's my fault for giving them that photo in the first place. You make me sound like a psychopath. Cause I only collaborate on shots. If it's like, if it looks good on my feed and, and their feed at the same time. Yeah. But we talked about that in the, uh, the other episode that I don't take my Instagram as seriously as you do. I'm just uh, like, whatever. I, I, I don't. I don't give a shit. So, uh, I don't, I don't take it all that seriously. I mean, I don't shoot, I, I, I rarely shoot one by one and I don't shoot five by four, but you're making me present my work that way. So who cares? Like you're not even technically, unless you intend to show all your work in that crop, you, that's not exactly the way you wanted to show it to the world anyway. And if I go to your website, I guarantee none of it's one by one or five by four. It's all two by three or three by four or six by 4.5 or something oh, like yeah. that. So you don't even present your work on Instagram the way you intended the world to see it. And that's my, that's my hard, hard line approach on. I don't give a fuck about my Instagram. I mean, people need to see what I'm up to, but it's not where you go see my best work. So, uh, I mean, not, not presented exactly the way I want it to be presented anyway. And so, uh, but anyway, back to it, uh, you know, I, I do, I do limit what people can rate, but 
if it's a situation where like they pick it, it's because, because uh, the whole point of a creative collaboration is, is everybody needs to get something out of it. So sometimes I, I, if I'm doing a shoot and there's a makeup artist involved and I don't really intend to get a lot of close-up shots, I'll still go, okay, I need to get a couple of close-up shots. So the makeup artist has something for their portfolio. I do please others on these shoots because, uh, I want to keep those relationships going. And, uh, and I want them to be happy with the results. So I, I do, well, I will take a few shots. Like sometimes I'll go walk with a model around downtown and we'll have a concept we're working on. And they'll, I, I can see a really cool shot that I've taken like 10 times with 10 other models, like the, a bridge we're under or something I'm like, Hey, there's a really cool shot to be had at this bridge. I'm just letting you know right now, I've taken it with like 10 other models and already have in my portfolio, but maybe you want it in yours. We can just knock it out real quick. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll deviate from the plan a little bit and, and have some shots that maybe they think are really cool that I'm just like, whatever on. Uh, but it depends on the nature of the shoot. So usually that's more the first time I work with the model. Um, you know, I know that we've had this discussion. Uh, I am a little bit more, I'm a little bit more less prepared the first time I work with a model than you are. Because uh, what, what I do is I try to like figure out how I want to work with them in the future. I don't have some big plan because what I don't, and this is just how I work. I don't want to like fall flat on my face the first time I'm working with somebody or ask them to do too much because I don't even know how they photograph or what their talents are. And so a, a, a shoot could fail because I set the bar way too high for their abilities. And so that's why it's like a lot of my first test shoots with some with a model. I'm usually just going out and shooting black and white in the street somewhere so I can figure out how they photograph. I'm going to be honest. Um, I think I'm a little bit more young and arrogant uh, than you are because... You're, you are factually younger than I am. So that's not even an opinion. You don't have to think that you're younger than me. You're like 18 years younger than me. I was talking to him in like, you know, the metaphysical <laughs> sense, you know, just like, you know, the young, you know, like when arrogance is still like a thing, I'm not wise enough to not be, not be a, a selfish, cocky, you know, prick. So that being said, um, every time... Every time without fail uh, that I've sent photos to models to, to pick from, uh, they pick photos that I just couldn't be fucking bothered to edit. And I, that might sound terrible. That, uh, that might stop people from working with me. But, but I've not, like, that was early on. And so after that, I've never, never sent raws. I've never sent photos to models, you know, for them to pick and choose. It's always just been... I send them the best that I could possibly conceive, and I have not not once had a complaint. There's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with that approach. Uh, yeah, I I cull them down a lot, like like we talked about. Like I I, I limit what I let them pick, but you know uh, what they end up picking. As I've gotten better at honing that honing in on that, they're starting to pick more of what I like because I'm only sending them more of what I like, but I still let them pick because it's like uh, if you're, you're looking at the bigger picture, you're giving them some power, which you're I like, think is you're, great. You are like the merciful tyrant. Yes, I will give you the options that I choose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the illusion of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, there's a, there's, it's, it's a good business decision. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope no one actually like listens to this episode. It's it's a little bit revealing. Oh, it's not that revealing. <laughs> no, I mean every now and then I I get lazy and I will send them a little bit more than I should, and then they'll pick one. I'm like, oh fuck, I should yeah. I should have spent a little more time on that. I have to edit. So uh, my my so my Apple Watch just went off, and I have some. Uh, fake magazine on Instagram hit me up right now. Probably tell me how great my work is. They all do that, by the way. Your, your work isn't great if you're listening. They just are just going to tag you on posts and go, oh, we're here to promote talent. They all send the same shit. Someone's got to tell them. They got to make their buck. 
Absolutely. Um, so uh, we've gone over, uh, what, four things now? Three things now? Four and a half, I'd say. Maybe four and a third. I lost track. Oh, yeah, we, it was it was four because we did we did shoot with intention. We did take less pictures, call more, slow down your edits. Okay, I have a point I want to make about slowing down your edits. So, like, as I, as I mentioned earlier uh, on this, when I was starting out, I was a pleaser, a people pleaser. I was like, oh, I need to turn this around fast. And I, I remember, you know, I heard uh, some photographer sometime say, I'll, I'll get around to it when I feel like it. I was like, wow, what an arrogant prick. Jeez. But as I've gotten older, <laughs> yeah. I'm that guy. I'm that guy because if I'm going to do something that is going to help me improve as a photographer and help me grow as an artist, I have to be in the right headspace for it. And so I have a life. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to go uh, – you know, I, whatever, I have to go to the grocery store and I have to do all this other shit. And, oh, well, now I need to get into this headspace to do this really intense artistic editing. No, I have to be there. And it may take me a couple days to decompress and separate myself from the work and then look at it with a fresh set of eyes. And then with that fresh set of eyes, only then can I actually do what's best for the work, which then is best for the client and myself and all of our books and all that. And so uh, I, my, I was wrong that that photographer was a prick. They were just right. They're just like so seasoned and grizzled. They're like, no, no, no. I gotta. I look at it when I'm ready, and 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 I'm that way now too. Now you have to still be a good businessman uh, and set expectations. Like, uh, I mean, some some agencies are like we have to have them back within a certain amount of days. So you gotta get your shit together and figure that out. But if there is a little bit more like openness and leeway there, then what I do is I just communicate. I'm very proactive about communicating, just saying, hey. And also, you just need, you know, this is another bonus tip uh, for, for, you know, improving yourself as a photographer is obviously have control of your schedule and understand how deep you are with your edits. Always under promise and over deliver. If you're a week behind, tell them you're a week and a half behind. So you have a buffer in case some shit comes up. So you're still at that targeted time because if you're one of those types of people who says i'll turn it around in three days and you turn it around in two weeks then uh that's your reputation right there and you do not want that that reputation it's better it's better to have the client kind of object a little bit at the front but then accept it and then get back really amazing edits than uh getting it uh two or three times uh longer than you told them and then, you know, maybe they're not even happy with the results this time. So in addition to uh, maybe the shoot not going the way they wanted it to and maybe giving you a second chance because you still turn things around in a decent amount of time uh, or in the time you promised. Now, you, in addition to having a shoot that didn't quite turn out the way everybody wanted it to, you're also really slow at turning around what they consider to not be amazing work. And so they'll probably never work with you again. But it, you keep hitting topics that I, I relate to on like a molecular level. So it, it, I usually give like a two week, two to three week turnaround, depending on how, how busy I am. And, um, this would probably drive you nuts doing this, but, but what I do, it only drives me nuts as well, but it's kind of just like the, the, the flow of work I've kind of fallen into at this point. Um, if I'm not editing black and white photos, black and white photos, I can, I can usually get through pretty well. It doesn't take a lot for me to find the right balance of contrast, uh, for the, for the shots. But if it's color, it takes me ages. I at first, like I go through one round of editing where I cull. And I don't, I don't grade. I kind of just, I kind of just dick around just like a little bit of a preview to see what the, the, the photos could, could look like. But like my first round is just like, okay, five star, all the images that I for sure want to, to toy around with. Okay. And then I just, and then I just leave. I'm doing something else. I'm editing something else. Then I come back and maybe a day and a half later. All right. 
time to start testing grades and, and building up my own grades for this particular shoot. Do I want it black and white? Do I want it, you know, this, that. And so I build out like a couple grades and, and even then I don't want to pull the trigger. I don't want to go, okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of like do all these photos this way. I'll, I'll let them sit. I'll have like a batch of like 40 or 50 photos, you know, on the low end sitting with, and there, there'll be different colors in there, different black and whites, different tones. And it'll just be an array of like experimental stuff. I'll let it sit. And then I'll come back another day in like two, three, four days even. And then I'll be like, okay, I see, I see everything clearly now. Like I, I see what I've got in front of me. I see where I was a couple of days ago. Then I can start eliminating the grades that I don't like. I can start saying, okay, I don't like this. Okay. I don't like that. Okay. Like I, I was just, an, it, that was just an in the moment thing. Fair enough. And then I just, you know, I get rid of any extra photos, trim the fat, trim the, trim the grades. And then I, I export everything from Lightroom into Photoshop. And then I just start hammering out the grades and everything I want that way, like meticulously. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it all depends on the nature of the shoot. So like if I'm doing, um, you know, something in the studio or something, you know, it's, it's a little harder to tell stories in the studio, but you can, but if I'm doing a storytelling, uh, editorial type thing, I, I, I edit. I call down based off of, okay, is this a linear order of a, a chronological story that's happening? Are things happening in a certain order? I just, you know, cause I may have like a part of the story where I get a shitload of stuff that's awesome, but it's like, well, I have to make an executive decision on this because I don't want just to focus on one part of the story. I want to focus on the whole story. So, you know, make sure you at least have a few shots of each part of the story that turned out well. Otherwise it's like, fuck, I got this gap and I don't, I, I have an incomplete story. Um, and I've, I've done that before and I'm like, okay, how can I kind of fake it with another shot and kind of make it, take it out of order and put it to where it's still it's, telling a story. It's montage, you know, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's hard, but that's, that's, that's how, uh, I edit as well. Uh, I, I, I take my time and I go in, I whittle down and I whittle down and I whittle down it. But like I said, it depends on the shoot. Um, you know, that shoot we were talking about the other day was kind of an anomaly because it was my first time working with the agency. So I just wanted to make sure I had good shots. So I gave them more than I normally would have. Uh, and they came back with about the number I expected, a little higher than I expected, which is a nice compliment to me, I guess. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's how I edit those photos. Uh, that's how I edit photos. I mean, and cull them down. And, um, like I said, slowing down, I think is, is a good idea. One thing I will do is immediately when I'm done, uh, doing a shoot that night, I will edit one or do like a quick edit of one or two photos. Cause I just want to like establish my vibe and then I let it sit. Mm -hmm. for at least 24 hours. And then I go back and I go, yeah, I'm still feeling this. And then I use that as my basis to edit a lot of the other shots. Right. Right. I'm in a, I'm in a Y2K phase right now. And you know, that sort of low fidelity Kodak 1995 cult classic film looking stuff, you know, where the, the blues are electric bordering greens, you know, it's like, it's that snatch kind of like color grade is that lock stock and two smoke and barrels is that layer cake guy Ritchie guy Ritchie 100%. And so, you know, when I, when I do a lot of these Y2K shots, I, I flip between a lot of subtle grades and that's what kills me is because the grades aren't that different. So sometimes I'll be like, do I want this to be like strictly like a, like a blue and, you know, like slightly yellow skin more, more so white skin tone, like, like just washed out. Do I want to add some greens? Do I want to add some yellows in the shadows to kind of like, you know, fuck it up a little bit? Or do I just want to go like straight, like high grain Delta 3200 style, like, 
um, high contrast black and white. And like those are all within the same realm of like cinema, <laughs> but it's difficult to choose because there's such there's subtleties. I love that cinematic look though. Um, you know, I mean, we talked about it in our first episode watching Blade Runner and stuff like that. And I, you know, I bought an anamorphic lens recently and I, I intend to start incorporating it into my work more soon because uh, it just has that look, man. But, uh, and that's not, not just from a perspective standpoint, but from the bouquet, it's all oval shaped as opposed to uh, spherical and, you know, has some wonkiness on the outer edges. So I need to do some more of that here soon. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. We're going to shift gears to the final topic today, uh, something that you can do, especially if you're new to photography. Um, something that I cannot stress enough is, you know, I know people who only make their money off of Instagram. That's where they get all of their business and more power to them. And some of them do very well for themselves. But the one question I always ask them is how much better would you be doing if you had a website? And so we're going to finish today's episode talking about the importance of having a website and why you need a website. And um, before we get to that point, I'm going to have a little conversation about building a website. So there is this um, uh, this uh, they're in marketing now, but they used to be a stylist in the fashion industry. They're just this amazing woman out in London uh, that I met uh, online and in clubhouse. And uh, she did a portfolio review for me. Very dry British woman, like will tear your ass to shreds. And that's exactly what I wanted uh, her to do. And so a lot of photographers fall into this trap. I did it myself when I started out. And it's like, you go and you take pictures of things and you kind of figure out what you are and what you do. And then you build a website and you're like, okay, um, here is my fashion and then there's a tab for it. And here is my beauty. And there's a tab for it. And here are my weddings. And there's a tab for it. And here are my whatever portrait sessions or family sessions. Or if you do boudoir, which I fucking hate. But um, whatever you do, you fall into that trap. Maybe you also do product photography. Oh, I do product photography, right? And then you have a product photography section. And before you know it, it's like, okay, I'm getting overwhelmed with all the shit that you do. And so... I let her absolutely rip my portfolio to shreds. And it was one of the greatest things that uh, I ever did for myself as a photographer. And this uh, plays off of Brandon's uh, commentary he had about his brother tearing his work to shreds. You need somebody like that. And it's not, I mean, brothers you can get away with, but like your significant other, you cannot get away with the person you share the bed with. The person you share the bed with, it has to say polite shit about you because they got to sleep next to you. So they're not going to tell you your work shit if it's shit. You need somebody in your life who will tell you that your work is shit when it is shit and then tell you when it's good. And so this lady, uh, who was, is super badass. I mean, I mean, all she does, what she does now is she, she runs a magazine and so she clears copyrights for photographers and stuff. So she looks at photography all day. She also happens to be a perfumist, which I learned so much about perfume from her. That's really cool. Yeah. Like during the pandemic, I'm a little sidetracked like during the pandemic, uh, because her, one of her jobs is that cause the, the whole magazine that she clears for is, is about perfume. The magazine is, that's why it's like, why is she clearing copyrights and smelling perfumes? Cause she runs a magazine about perfume and, and then there's pictures of it and all that, that she has to clear copyrights on and all that. But, uh, during the pandemic, she had to, uh, like have Chanel and all these companies like send her samples because she had to keep her nose like tuned to like, cause you know, everything's on lockdown. And, and so it's like, I'm not smelling perfume all the time and I'm losing 
my, my, my talents, my abilities. So she would have like Chanel and all these companies like send her perfume samples so she could just stay on top of her profession. It was, it's crazy. It's just crazy. That's but so cool. Yeah. And I, I had like a two hour conversation with her about perfume. I don't fucking wear perfume, uh, but it was just so fascinating. But anyway, so what she had the ability to do was she had, she, she gave me the ability to step outside of my portfolio and look at my portfolio in a way that I could not do before she ripped it to shreds. And so as I mentioned before, I was talking about like, oh, yeah, uh, here's my beauty. Here's my fashion. Here's this and that. And I have all these different categories. And she's like, fuck that. If you can't tell people in two or three photos or less that you can shoot beauty, you can't shoot beauty. You can't tell people in two or three photos or less that you can shoot weddings, then you can't shoot weddings. And so she's like, you don't shoot weddings and fashion and beauty and editorials. You shoot people, you shoot places, and you shoot emotions. And I want you to take your entire fucking portfolio and I want you to put it into those three categories. And I want you to pull your images down to like your top two or three. And it it, it can it can go across genres. So like you could take a really gorgeous picture of a wedding at a gorgeous location and that would be under your places section. But you get a shot of a groom crying when he sees the bride for the first time and that's under the emotions section. And I'm just like, huh. Then this light bulb went off and I saw my work completely differently and it completely redesigned my website. Like I just built my website around her advice. And that's another thing that she does is she also built the website for her magazine. And so she's like all these fucking wizardry ideas that she's just throwing out there. And I'm like, whoa. And so uh, now I did alter it over time because I, I actually like to also just go, here's a six by six section of film I do. And here's a, you know, I, I, I still branched out and made it my own thing a little bit, but I took, I took my entire uh, website and built it around that core. And the reason why I'm telling this story is because Everybody who is a professional, for the most part, has a website, right? Um, you know, you can sell all your shit on Instagram if you want, but you're you're going to have a ceiling, um, unless you just are one of those Kardashian type viral people who get lucky and get shit tons of money off Instagram. Uh, the rest of us don't do it that way, and there are clients of different ages who experience media differently, and so the younger generation they experience a lot of media through their phone, but the younger generation isn't who has the money. The people who have the money get AARP cards. They are older, okay? They are over 40, 45. They're the ones who have the most disposable income. And they don't enjoy media that way. They don't consume media at, that way, especially when they're looking to part with their money. A lot of them go to a website. And if, they, if you're like, hey, I'm a photographer, one of the very first things that they're going to do is go to your website. And if your website is shit, Remember what I told you at the beginning of the episode, they're going to judge you based off of your worst photo. That's why if you cannot sell a wedding in two or three photos that you are, what's going to happen is, and this is why, uh, she told me, uh, to do it this way, put your best two shots in there that show that fuck yeah, I can shoot a wedding. And then a prospective client will look and go, yes, you can shoot a wedding and they'll hire you. But if you put, if you put like, because uh, I see I see photographers do this. There'll be a wedding photographer, and they'll put like 200 shots of each wedding on their website. And it's like, I'll go through, and there's like mediocre photo photo after mediocre photo. And it's like, I'm not going to hire. I, I will find a reason to not hire that person to shoot a wedding for me. Ever. I'm already married, but, you know, in, in, that, in that hypothetical scenario. And so you're actually shooting yourself in, a, in the foot. Like, don't do that. Like... Like, uh, if you cannot, if you cannot do it in just a few photos or less, then you, you can't do it. 
Like, or it's not that you can't do it, it's that you're going to give them an excuse to not hire you for it. But if all they see is just your absolute best, even if there's not a lot of it, like I, I've, I've, I've actually changed it up and I got hired for a wedding. They just look at two or three photos like, wow, these are amazing. And then if they ask for more photos, like offline, you know, you can kind of give them a little hand selected gallery and just give them like a little taste more, but don't give them a full wedding. Like I wouldn't do that personally. And I'm just using weddings as an example. That's great advice though. Less is more. Yeah. Because like I said, I can look at a hundred photos of yours and if I find your worst photo, I might just be like, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. These were all fucking great, but man. Yeah. But I could sit on the other side of that table and go like, okay, like I feel the need to, um, I feel the need to show more of my best work, you know, because I feel like that builds credibility, but I might be wrong listening well, to you now. The advice I was given is um, you can go more heavily in one area than another. So like if you go to my website, like, um, you know, I don't necessarily think I have as many emotion shots as I do people in places. Um, and I, I renamed it. I didn't want to do people, places and emotions. I think I named it something like uh, uh, humanity, uh, time and place. Cause I always think that, you know, time and place is important. And I think I did emotive for the third part, you know, just make it stand out and look a little unique. They, they basically said in each one of those sections, no more than 20 images total. And that's across genres. That's beauty, wedding, like in emotions, like find your 20 best shots of emotions that, that talk about your DNA as a photographer and how you're able to translate emotion because they can see it in other genres. So like if I can get an emotion in some other setting they didn't see me translate that emotion at a, in the scenario of a wedding, but they still saw me translate it. So they know that I could, but because I'm using my best shots of emotions, my best shots of uh, things that are happening in places. And then my best shots that show humanity and people, uh, people can draw that from your work. Even if it's not the genre they're trying to hire you for, I've had uh, commercial brands just look at all my modeling work and hire me based off of that. And then like, I'm shooting like, average Joe's and shit, you know, I'm not shooting professional models. And they're just like, no, you, you clearly know how to shoot people. Like that was what they said. It's like, yep. So I got, it, it I got hired to shoot a, a Latin American jazz band show last night. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I, I talked to the the director of the, the record label that hired me and I, you know, he just, he, he said like, you know, we loved your work. So, you know, we're glad to have you here. And I was just like, I don't have any, yeah. <laughs> any like show work whatsoever. It's, it's the darndest thing. If you just show your best work, period, not your best work of each genre necessarily, like you could have, I mean, you could have like one or two shots from each genre, but maybe you have six from another, but it's the compilation of your best shots of people, your compilation of your best shots of, uh, you know, places and all that. Uh, and, and, and the reason I say this, cause I also shoot street photography. And so in my, my places section of my, uh, my website, I have a lot of my street photography on the places, but I also have really good editorial shoots. My best editorial shoots where I'm shooting models at places. It clearly shows, that, oh, man, this guy really understands, or hopefully, this guy understands how to uh, shoot environmental uh, situations. That's that's the point it's trying to get across. So, you know, if I have a prospective wedding client or a prospective commercial client who needs me to do a location shoot, they just go to the places section and go, well, clearly he knows how to shoot in locations. It doesn't exactly match up what we need him to do, but we we see from this body of work that he, can, he knows the assignment and he can execute it. And so that was... That was the point of that. Uh, and I, I think it was some of the best advice I've ever been given. And, you know, she was like, I mean, she, she's not just some stylist. She worked on like Jerry Hall and Twiggy and people like that, like fashion icons. Like she has, she has 
fucking loads of advice and just that's why I like uh, she's such a fascinating person I can talk to about perfume for two hours <laughs> you know like wow. I don't give a fuck about perfume but th- some people are just some people come into your life and you're like oh I, I could talk to you for hours about just benign shit things I don't even care about and you can make it fascinating she was that way if you can survive show business in the 60s you can tell anyone in 2023 to fuck right off I'm sure oh yeah yeah she was more 70s later in the cruise but still worked okay. with them to the point of the website another big piece of advice uh, I want to give all of you on a website is make sure that everything on your website is no more than two at most three clicks away. Because if I have to go to submenu to submenu to submenu to find whatever it is that you want to show me, I'm going to leave your website, especially if I'm looking to hire you. So if you cannot put your best foot forward in very few galleries and make it to where I don't have to like, everything just needs to be right there in front of you there. And basically you have your menu you have your, you know, your about, your contact, stuff like that, and you're good to go. Now, uh, there's all sorts of options out there. There's millions of options out there. You can do uh, Squarespace. You can do Wix. I used to be on Squarespace, and I recently switched over to Format, which is a company out of Canada. They had a really cool situation where a web developer helped me develop the site, and so that was pretty rad. They had some good input uh, to help develop my site. But um, but that's the thing is not all of you listening know how to develop websites. I've just been doing it since like the late nineties. I've been doing it DIY and I've developed some shitty websites over the, over the years, but I've just gotten better and better and better at it. And the templates are, are pretty idiot proof, especially if you're a photographer and you know how to compose things. It's like they're already kind of composed in a pretty easy way to follow. You just drag and drop things and just need to know like how to insert um, a hyperlink, which you usually like right click or whatever. It's, it's pretty easy, but I mean, that's seriously like one of the ways that you can um, differentiate yourself from your competition. There's so many people out there who are quote unquote photographers. And I mean, I, I see some, what I personally consider mediocre photographers to just clean up on business because they have a badass website. It functions well. They have like Squarespace scheduling built into it. It even like puts like fake appointments on there to say, Oh, I'm not available at this time. So it makes it look like you're busy. I mean, you can do all sorts of stuff uh, nowadays to market yourself better. And we are going to do an episode on photography and photo business, but get If you don't have a website, I cannot stress enough the importance of having one. Uh, it's still the preferred medium of people with deep pockets. And um, I don't really think that Coca-Cola is going to come knocking on your door for a commercial project, uh, if, for a campaign, if you only have an Instagram. Yep, I 100% agree. It's it's just the calling card. It's what you got to have. Absolutely. Well, that does it for today's episode. We are going to uh, do part two of this episode. Uh, things that we've learned as photographers to help improve our photography. Uh, This is the F11 podcast. You can follow us on all major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, etc. And like I said, we come out every Tuesday. You can follow us at f11pod.com. You can follow us at f11pod on Instagram. You can follow us at f11pod on Twitter. And, uh, Until next time, chase light, not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.